Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Ramadan Mubarak to you and yours. This Ramadan, as we all gather to share a meal with our loved ones, we need to remember those in Gaza who are also gathering to share a meal with so many who aren't there that were just there a year ago. Since October the 7th, the Human Development Fund has assisted over 200,000 people in Gaza, providing them with essential aid, such as food baskets, water, hot meals, winter items, shelter, hygiene kits, and baby formula. Your generous contributions are making a significant impact, especially in Rafah. Let's sustain this momentum and continue providing crucial support during this sacred and blessed month. Please visit hdfund.org slash qalam. That's hdfund.org slash qalam, Q-A-L-A-M, to learn more about our global reach this Ramadan and choose where you'd like to direct your support during this blessed month. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this month a time of mercy, solace, acceptance, and triumph for the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And may Allah continue to use all of us as a means and never replace us. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Qalam is an organization that is dedicated to making Islamic knowledge accessible to everyone. Alhamdulillah, Qalam has been able to serve so many people all across the world in so many ways. And now, Qalam has the opportunity and the ability to take its work to the next level. Qalam now has the ability to expand its offerings to people all across the world in so many different ways. Qalam is acquiring a campus, a home, where we can continue to do the work that we do and in fact increase what we do. But we need your help, we need your support to make that dream a reality. Go to qalamcampus.com and donate generously. Every single person listening to this podcast, benefiting from Qalam, I need you to go there and donate and share that link far and wide. And let's, all of us come together, invest into our Sadaqah Jariyah and take this work to the next level. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Now enjoy the podcast. Sheikh Abdul Fatah Abu Ghadda in this beautiful book of his, Rasul Al Mu'allim, is interested in, in showing us how the Prophet was such an amazing educator and teacher. What we've been doing for the past few weeks is studying those narrations that describe the personality of Rasulullah Because one aspect of the teacher is their knowledge, another aspect is their ability to teach. But then there is an aspect that's to do with their personality, the kind of individual you're dealing with. And all of these things must be aligned and they must have good equilibrium between them. And we understand that if there is any, any form of imbalance, the impact that you can have from that interaction is limited. So we continue with this today. He shares a few more narrations and then moves on to a beautiful discussion from Imam Al-Mawardi, rahimahullah ta'ala, 
in which Imam Mawardi rahimahullah ta'ala uh, presents some very important points about the personality of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So with that we'll start. Bismillah. Bismillah alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam ala Rasulillah. Ibn al-Sakan al-Tabarani and Abu Muslim al-Kajjinari on the authority of al-Mughira ibn Abdullah al-Yashukri that his father narrated saying, I went to Kufa and entered the masjid. I saw a man from the Qais tribe whose name was Ibn al-Muntafil relating someone described Rasulullah to me so I went in search of him. I saw him at Arafat and rushed to meet him. Someone told me, get away from him. So Rasulullah said, leave the man alone. He probably The Prophet was in Arafah, the most virtuous day of the year and the most important day of a person's life, a time of dua, asking from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this person is approaching Rasulullah in that moment to ask a question. There were so many Sahaba there, so they began to push him away that don't go to the Prophet at this point. Let him be. Nabi noticed, so he said, Da'ur Rajul, let him be, let him come forward. Arabun Malahu, that he may have some need. Arabun means a sort of a haja, and ma here is za'ida. So Arabun Malahu means there must be some need that he has. Let him come forward. So he said, I uh, continued to push forward until I was now in front of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. فَأَخَذْتُ بِخِتَامِ رَاحِلَتِهِ فَمَا غِيرَ عَلَيَّ So he says that I came to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and I held the rein of his animal. The reason why he did this is because he had to push through the crowds to make it to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now holding the animal was his way of saying that I'm walking away after I get my answer. So he stands in front of the Prophet and he holds his uh, the rein of his animal. And um, so he says, The Prophet did not become angry upon me for holding his uh, for holding his animal or for pushing through the crowds. Go ahead. I therefore rushed rushed forward until I reached him. I grabbed the nose ring of, the, of his camel, but no one came, no one came angry at me. I said to him, I have come to ask you two things. What will save me from hellfire and what will admit me into paradise? Rasulullah looked to the skies and then turned to me with his noble countenance and said, Your question may be very concise, but the answer to it is very serious and lengthy. You must fully understand what I'm going to say to you. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy was such that he came in such a profound gathering, surrounded by so many people. Thousands of people were there to ask this question so now everyone could hear the answer from Rasulullah. His question was brief and the depth to it was great. So Nabi said, Fa'atil Aliyah. So listen attentively and take this from me. Mm -hmm. Worship Allah and do not ascribe any partners to Him. Establish the compulsory salah and give me compulsory zakah and fast the month of Ramadan. This narration is similar to the ones that we covered in our previous class where certain Bedouins came to Rasulullah and asked what was the way for them to earn their path to Jannah. And Rasulullah laid out these foundations, again, repeating them again and again and again, that stick to these things, burn them into your routine, make them a part of your life, 
do not compromise with these things at all. Yes. Muslim Abu Dawood al-Tabilinari on the authority of Anas says, a woman had something on her mind, so she said, oh Rasulullah, I need to speak to you. He translates it as a woman had something on her mind. Anas narrates his hadith, inna imratan kana fi aqliha that there was a woman who wasn't well mentally speaking. She had some disability. Now, this woman who had a disability, she approached Rasulullah Ya Rasulullah, inna li ilayka haja. I have a need. Now, generally speaking, if someone comes to you with a disability, specifically if it's to do with their intellect, you may brush them off thinking that what I say to them, they may not even comprehend it. They probably won't even register. What are they going to do with it? Are they going to convey it to someone else? This person, someone else can talk to them. Unfortunately, in our communities, we are quick to brush off people with disabilities, whether it's someone who struggles to walk or someone who struggles to see or hear. Many masajid don't have the access for people with disabilities to even enter into the masjid. Yesterday, I was um, with my children. I picked them up from Madrasa and I was going back home. I stopped at a store to purchase a kickboard so my Mahmoud can learn to swim properly. And next to, the, next to the kickboard store, there was a comic store there. I didn't even know we had a comic store in Flower Mound. So my kids, they said, Abba, we have to go in the comic store. So we went inside and there were a bunch of comics there. Uh, couldn't say no to them. We picked up like five or six of them. We came back, <laughs> we came back home. My wife saw the comments and she said, did you even proofread these? Do you even know what kind of content is in these books? I said, I have no idea. They said Superman, Spider-Man. I'm like, I thought it would be good. And she took the comics and said, I'm going to read these comics first and make sure that they're age appropriate and then I'll give them to you. So we were sitting at home with the kids and they were sitting around. They usually like to enjoy, they usually enjoy reading in their idle time. So I had a book in front of me, a book written by uh, my dear Sheikh. Shaykh Yusuf rahimahullah ta'ala. It's called Obeying the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa I still had the plastic wrap on it. It was brand new, sitting in the coffee table. So I removed the plastic wrap and then I said, okay, let's read from here. How about that? I forget the exact Sahabi's name, but there was a beautiful story in there of a Sahabi of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa who was blind. And he had a rope that connected his bed to the door of his home. And when someone would come and knock on his door, asking for food or asking for wealth, he would use that rope to guide himself to the door and give the sadaqah with his own hands. His family members would say that, why don't you let us give it on your behalf? I mean, we can give when someone comes. And then he said that I heard Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa saying, that the one who gives sadaqah with their own hands will prevent a horrible death. So in order to take this virtue of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa I wish to give it myself. Why do we share this? The reason why I share this incident is because it shows that sometimes the people you may look down upon are willing to go above and beyond with their disabilities to, dis to obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it may be that their 
lack of ability in that moment to fulfill that act the way someone else would with full ability is more beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. My mother, rahimahullah, she used to struggle to read the Quran. I've mentioned this before. She never read the Quran in her entire life once in Arabic. She would read it in her own language and transliteration. When I would visit home during the breaks, she would say to me, Hussein made Fatiha sun. That I'll read Surah Fatiha to you, correct me. I'll read my Attahiyat to you, correct me. I'll read my Dua Al-Qunud to you, correct me. So when I would listen to her, it was a train wreck. There were all sorts of mistakes going on, all sorts of them. The words were just a big hot mess and I would try to correct her every time and she would just get frustrated because Arabic wasn't her language. So one time before I went home, I spoke to one of my teachers and I said, a few days from now I'm going to be at home and my mom is going to approach me again about that Arabic thing. And her Arabic really sucks. And every time I correct her, she gets frustrated. So then he said to me, how old is your mother? I said, she's in her late 50s. Well, at that point, she was in her 50s. She's in her 50s at this point. So he said, let her read as she reads. Let her read as she reads. This old lady with all of her challenges is still reading the Quran. It may be possible that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves that more than the way someone with proficiency reads the Quran. Now, this isn't to say that we shouldn't strive to perfect our recitation of the Quran. If there's anything that we should give attention to, it's that the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we engage with it in the best way possible. But never look down upon people who may not be able to perform the same way another one, someone with full ability, with full access. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was reprimanded in the Quran for this. Abbas wa tawalla an ja'ahu al-ahma. Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum radiallahu an came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to ask a question. And in that moment, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was with the leaders of Quraysh. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam chose to focus more on this group of leaders that he was with, that he would rarely get time to present his message to, and turned away from the blind man. Ayat of the Quran were revealed, advocating for the one with disabilities. Because advocating for those who can't advocate on behalf of themselves is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does. It's what we're all taught to do. This is a message from the Quran. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gave importance to every person in the community. This same Abdullah ibn Umm an doesn't disappear in history. Rather, he appears again and again. He is appointed by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as one of the Mu'addins of Medina Munawwara. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam left him in charge of Medina Munawwara in his absence. And like this, we have so many examples of other companions, the female companion who had um, seizures. Her, she approached Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and said, O Messenger of Allah, I have seizures frequently. And when I experience my seizure, my body is exposed because her cloth would fall aside. So she said, make the wadu Allah that I am cured. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to her, In shi'ti da'utullah in yu'afiq. Wa in shi'ti sabarti wa lakil jannah. If you'd like, I can make the wadu Allah and he will cure you. Or if you'd like, be patient 
and paradise will be yours. So she, so she chose the second one. And why did Rasulullah say this to this individual? Because he knew her outside of her issue, that she was a strong person. Her issue didn't define who she was. Her challenge in life wasn't who she was. She was something greater than that. She was someone greater than that. And the Prophet knew her potential. So he invites her in this moment, continue to do sabr. The people in Medina Munawwara from that day onwards would view her as a woman in the streets of Medina that was from Jannah. True story, the riwayat say this, that we would look at her and say that this is well, this one right here is from the people of Jannah. So now we have this incident here that this female companion approaches Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Imarat and kana fi aqliha shay and she had some disability. فَقَالَتْ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ إِنَّ لِي إِلَيْكَ حَاجَةً That I have a need. I need to talk to you. فَقَالَ يَا أُمَّ فُلَانْ أُنْذِرِي أَيَّ السِّكَةِ شِئْتِي So he said to her, You choose the path, I will follow you there. أَيَّ السِّكَةِ سِكَةِ is a road. You choose the alley, choose the path that you'd like to walk on and we'll walk together. And um, حَتَّى أَقْضِيَ لَكِ حَاجَتَكِ فَخَلَى مَعَهَا فِي بَعْضِ الطُرُقِ so they say the two of them walked off and they were alone and no one else was there. And she had her personal private time with Rasulullah. Until she had fulfilled her need. That she sat down and Rasulullah sat with her until she fulfilled her need. This riwayah is beautiful. Imam Nawawi rahmatullahi alayhi while commenting on it, he points out في هذا الحديث بيان توادعه صلى الله عليه وسلم في وقوفه مع المرأة الضعيفة that in this narration we see the patience and the, and the humbleness of Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم that he spent time with this lady that had a weakness in her ليقضي حاجتها ويفتيها في الخلوة ولم يكن ذلك من الخلوة بالمرأة الأجنبية فإن كان هذا so then he points out a small little fiqhi issue that someone may claim that Rasulullah was in seclusion. And we know that seclusion between an unmarried male and female or an unrelated male and female is frowned upon, disliked, prohibited in Islam. So why was Rasulullah with her like this thing? So he explains that there is no objection because uh, because Rasulullah was walking on a common path. And they were clearly able to see her and him. Because the rulings of seclusion only apply if there is no barrier. If there is a male and female that are having a meeting and there is a glass barrier or a glass wall between the people and where they're sitting, there is no prohibition in this at all. Someone wishes to go meet with a potential and have a private conversation, they can do so. The two of them can be alone and they can have a conversation and talk to one another, potential for marriage, right? They can go and have that conversation if they'd like to. What's not permitted in Islam is khalwa. That a male and female should not be in absolute seclusion. Something that you should uh, do your best to avoid in every uh, circumstance. Rasulullah went with her on this path giving her the ability to ask her question privately, giving her the, the chance, the opportunity to say what she needed to say and not feel shameful about it. 
that someone else is going to hear me and what I have to say. Yes, go ahead. Would you like me to read the English or the next section? You can read the narration. It's more about inshallah. Muslim Abu Dawood al-Tirmidhi narrated on the authority of Anas radiallahu anhu who said, a woman had something on her mind, so she said, O Rasulullah, I need to speak to you. He replied, O woman, choose whichever path, pathway you like so that I may come there and fulfill whatever need you have. Rasulullah then spoke privately with her on one of the pathways until she completed telling him of her need. In the narration of Abu Dawood, the following words are mentioned. She sat down and Rasulullah also sat down with her until she completed telling him whatever she needed. Imam Nawawi said in his commentary of this hadith, this hadith demonstrates Rasulullah's humility as he answered the questions of a weak woman in privacy. This does not entail speaking in privacy with a strange woman because this transpired where people were passing by and they could see both Rasulullah and her. But they did not listen to their conversation because her question could not be asked openly. Allah Ta'ala knows best. Yes, so here, again, just to uh, reiterate and emphasize, never overlook any individual that comes to you with a question. Anyone that comes to ask, that you don't push away someone that comes to ask. You don't know the potential in that individual. You may look down upon that person saying that they're only a child, or maybe this person doesn't have potential in them. What are they going to be? This is not some big scholar or some grand student of knowledge that's coming to seek who will share and practice and all that other great stuff that is expected when a person teaches. Just share. You don't know if that will be their moment of inspiration, that they're touched. The truth is that human beings can have a moment of inspiration and experience an epiphany at any given time. It all boils down to moments of sincerity, moments of being appreciated, moments of being heard, that you have an interaction with someone and you're expecting the worst, but then it turns out to be quite a great, you know, back and forth, and then you're, you're just touched by that, that I'm always going to remember this. When I was young, I had recently graduated, and there was a particular issue that I was very confused by. I lived in Chicago, and there was a masala there. People were always debating it, whether it was permissible to consume poultry specifically that is mechanically slaughtered. Do you have to slaughter it by hand, or... Is it okay to consume it if it's mechanically slaughtered? I had read on this issue, spoken to my teachers. I found myself in India for a business trip, I had gone there. And one of my friends who was traveling with me, he was from Hyderabad, India. So he said, I'm going to go visit some family. I said, sure, I'll tag along with you. I mean, like, we both have a day off. We'll make it a one-day, two-day trip, and we'll come back. So we went out there. When we got there, I said to him that there is a scholar who lives here who I was so impressed by. In my student years, I probably could say at that moment I had read all of his books. I really loved his works. I wish more effort was done into translating his knowledge into English, even though a good amount is, but not enough. His name is uh, Maulana Khalid Saifullah Rahmani. A genius, genius man. I really appreciated his knowledge and 
what I liked a lot about him, this was in the early 2000s, that he was writing about issues that were very sort of ahead of the time. You know, he was talking about things moving forward. Like, for example, a simple issue of everyone's writing on the Masail of doing wudu. How do you do wudu? How do you take a bath? But here this man comes in and says, let's talk about how to do wudu with dentures. It's a new thing, you know, that dentures are of two types. There are the removable and the, there, there are those that are more permanent. So now what are the Masail for each one and what are the considerations? So now, see, he was really kind of taking things that were not discussed as much and bringing them into context. I was so confused by this issue for a long time. And then I was in Hyderabad and I said to my friend, man, set up a meeting. That would be amazing if I can sit in front of him and ask him this question. He had someone make a call and Alama Khalid Saifullah Rahmani is a giant scholar. When I say giant, I mean hundreds and thousands of students study just at his one institution. He's called to symposiums internationally to present on Islamic law. And at that point, I couldn't have been past my early 20s. I barely had facial hair at that time. He, he accepted and said, come over. And I was jittery. It's like I was going to meet one a celebrity. I was expecting to meet him at a madrasa. When we went on the way there, we were told to come to his home. He invited us inside his house. He served us some food. And then I asked him first for some nasiha of serving in the West. He gave some very beautiful nasiha, some beautiful advice. Stuff that I will remember probably to the end of my life. And then I asked him this masala, that what's the ruling on eating poultry that is mechanically slaughtered? He gave such a profound answer. It wasn't a one word, so I'm not going to share it with you if you're sitting on the edge of your seat. Some of you guys have got that look on your face. It wasn't a one word, one sentence answer. It was a detailed answer. And that's what I'd expect from him. I mean, a man of such knowledge, he connected so many masail together to explain one masala that it was like, a, it was a field day. It was so enjoyable. And he shared some anecdotes and we must have spoken on that issue for maybe half an hour, 45 minutes. And when I left there, it became very clear to me what the answer was on this masala. It became clear as that daylight. And I was inspired by that. It's just moments like these that you have with someone that you're not expecting it from, that they give you an opportunity to have conversations with them. To be, truth be told, I, you know, if he had said, no, that I don't have time to meet you, I would have completely understood it, that I'm an insignificant person and it doesn't, he has a busy schedule and I called the day of and he said, no, makes sense. These moments matter. Making time for people, going out of your comfort zone. One of my teachers was once visiting and he gave some lectures. I had set up a schedule for him. So he gave a bunch of lectures. He was staying in the basement of our home. We had a nice little guest room there. So in the evening, some people came to visit and ask questions. I had originally told him no. I said the chef's been busy all day. It's best that he rests a little. And I went to him then. And I said to him, chef, someone's here to ask a question. I've already said no, but I just wanted to run it past you before I you know, just tell them no, no. He said, no, let them come. They came inside, they asked questions, and it was a long gathering. And at the end of it, I sat with him. I was just sitting in the room as he was lying down, getting ready to go to sleep. And then he said to me, Hussein, in these words again, they stuck with me. 
He said, Hussein, serve the deen so much that you get tired. And then when you get tired, serve the deen some more. It's not just about accommodating people on your schedule. I know people say all the time that, oh, imams should start charging by the hour. Lawyers do it. Therapists do it. That's a little different. They're banking in on all of their ajr in the dunya. We're hoping to save it for the akhirah. And saving for the akhirah means that you need to learn to do things for the sake of Allah, even if it's 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. at night. Now, obviously, boundaries should be established and people should be respectful, but needs arise. And you need to sometimes break that routine and go out of your way. So here we have this beautiful example of Rasulullah making time for this lady and giving attention to her. Yes. The unique traits of Rasulullah The following is a description of the unique traits, merits, and noble character of this messenger, the teacher, Knowledge of these traits will complement our knowledge of his personality. So here, right here, what he's going into next is that, um, if you recall at the beginning of the lecture, I mentioned that today we'd go into a discussion by Imam Al-Mawardi, rahimahullah ta'ala. So he says, Shaykh Abdul Fattah, هذا وقد استحسنت أن أريد ما قاله الإمام الماوردي في بيان جوانب من شخصية هذا الرسول الكريم والمعلم العظيم صلى الله عليه وسلم وفيما قاله رحمه الله تعالى تثمير لما ذكرته هنا وإليك كلامه في الصفحات التالية. So he says that we've been having a discussion on the personality of Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم. To further this discussion and to complete off this conversation, I want to present some points to you. Regarding the personality of Rasulullah that were written by Imam Al Mawardi. And then he leads into this chapter. So, this was the paragraph before that chapter. Go ahead. His personality as a teacher is an intrinsic and inseparable component of his character. His traits demonstrate the reason for the ready acceptance of his statements and rulings, the emulation of his actions, and the impact which they had on the people. These, these encompass all. Uh, facets of worldly and religious life. The following is therefore also a guideline and a directive as to how a teacher ought to be in his outlook, thinking, character, actions, dealings, speech, and external and internal self. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, A person may ask, why are we spending so much time discussing the character of Rasulullah why are we spending, why can't we just talk, go straight into the educational techniques and the methodology? Well, the reason is because Because understanding this will help you truly understand the type of personality Rasulullah had as an educator. Because you can't separate that. You can't say someone was a great educator with horrible personality. That means they were a mediocre educator, right? The two go together. You can't separate them. Yes. There is a perfect example for you in the Messenger of Allah. Yeah, and then he cites the ayah of the Quran. لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا That in Rasulullah وسلم you have a perfect example. Yes. Imam Abu Hassan Ali ibn Muhammad al-Mawardi al-Basri al-Baghdadi this part of this discussion of Al-Mawardi is taken from his book, Alam um, al He points it out here. Yes, go ahead, keep it. Imam Al-Mawardi, rahimahullah, was the chief judge of his time. He was born in 364 
uh, after Hijrah and passed away in 450. He has elaborated on the particular traits and attributes which Allah Ta'ala bestowed on his messenger Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The following is a summary of what is mentioned by the Imam in his book. The Prophets of Allah Ta'ala were the choice were the choices of his servants because of the responsibilities of Prophet. He therefore selected them from the noblest of stock and assisted them with the firmest of supports in order to safeguard their lineage from any blemish and their position from any discredit. As a result, souls would, would be most compliant to them, hearts would associate with them in utmost purity, and people would be very responsive to them and most obedient in carrying out their orders. The signs of prophethood in Rasulullah were obvious, and the proofs of it are absolute. The early signs are proven by the latter ones. Hence, there is no possibility of falsehood being confused with the truth, and neither can the denier of truth confuse one who affirms it. Allah Ta'ala commissioned him as a messenger and accordingly purified him from all filth. Hence, every accusation brought against him can be refuted, and he is safe of all scorn and derision. No, no intellect can shun him aside, no heart can refuse him, and no soul can deny him. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had consistency. He really points that out. He says that Tashhadu Mabadiha Bil Awaqib. That the you know, they all testify for each other. What he said at the beginning, it followed through. There wasn't a point where Rasulullah started contradicting himself. Right? And you know, Nabi had consistency in what he taught. Not to be confused with the concept of abrogation. Abrogation is a whole different phenomenon, right? And something that could be studied as a subject under the science of Ulum al-Qur'an. When you're studying Ulum al-Qur'an, you can study the whole concept of abrogation. But as far as the personality, the teachings, the education of Rasulullah it was consistent. The Prophet who he was at the beginning, was the person that he was at the end. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala purified the Prophet and inspired him with the best, so that way people can see it. And they wouldn't be able to reject how profound his message was. No person would dislike him either. Yes. He was. It's one of the most uh, profound things that we as Muslims don't share enough with our non-Muslim family and friends. The personality of the Prophet Muhammad What they don't realize is that the person that many may have um, ill feelings towards is someone that they've just been fed garbage about. They just haven't read about him. You know, even if you read the biographies of him written by Orientalists, by non-Muslims, they don't have bad to say about him. The famous Michael Hart example is commonly sh uh, shared where he wrote the 100 most, 100 most influential people in the world as a non-Muslim. And the first person that he lists in the history of humanity to be influential was Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, because his you can't you can you know it's crazy because Orientalists, some Orientalists, because there aren't reports that contradict the personality and what kind of individual he was, they went far to say that he is a mythical figure. This is true, by the way. 
there was a, this was a this is a big discussion among Orientalists that is Muhammad peace be upon him وسلم, a made up person because everything about him sounds so pristine and there's no blemish on his personality that this must be made up this individual can't be real he is a made up person from the Middle East and that's that but the proof stacks up against them very quick very 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 quick so at this point at least in that discourse, this is no longer a point of contention. So now there is a acceptance that, at least for the greater uh, body of skeptics, that Muhammad was a real figure, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And this is, by the way, is a similar approach they took to Isa alayhi salam and all the Anbiya alayhi wasallam. This sort of objection isn't just against the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi They said that these people were not real. Nuh alayhi salam was not a real person. Ibrahim is an idea. Musa is an idea. This is how people give comfort to themselves when they realize when they realize that they're not really performing up to par. So those who are um, who are doing great, you just say that it's not real. This is all just made up. When I first read this argument, I had come across it much later after uh, studying Islam for some years. And knowing for a fact that this argument was nothing more than absolute trash and garbage. When I read this for the first time, that the claim that the Prophet ﷺ was a mythical figure, it made me smile. And I said, Alhamdulillah, that this is the greatness of Rasulullah ﷺ, that they just wrote him off as a non-human. Now it's just proving to them that he was a human being and he was real. And there's no denial left anymore. Yes. He was groomed and prepared with the noblest of character, the most beautiful of actions, and made worthy of the highest ranks and the most superior deeds. As these are the, are the fundamental strengths... Schools take pride in their students. Colleges take pride in their graduates. Harvard grad, Oxford grad, someone from Stanford. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes pride in his student. Jibir alayhi salam takes pride in his student. وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَىٰ خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ فَبِمَا رَحْمَةٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ لِنْتَ لَعَلَىٰ لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنَةٌ All the educators in the world can never find perfection in education. And this is something that's agreed upon, by the way. Put five educators in a group and they will contradict themselves every two years. Oh, we got that wrong, let's do it again. It happens at Qalam all the time. It doesn't mean we're wrong per se, it just means that we're thinking, oh, we can do this a little better. But we put this curriculum together, and at the end of it, at the end of every summer, after we've gone through hours of meeting, is everyone happy with this? Yes, this is very good. And the next year, during the summer meeting, someone will say, but I think we can adjust this period a little bit. And the conversation starts again. Because we're always trying to find ways to improve, and that's natural, it's good, it's a healthy thing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, with his infinite, complete knowledge, lays out the path for Rasulullah When you have a perfect educator, a perfect system, a protected ma'asum student, imagine the quality now. Go ahead. As these are the fundamental principles which direct, which direct towards complementary goodness and avert the contrary. No rank in this world is superior to the rank of property. It is an ambassadorship between Allah Ta'ala and His servants. It sees to the well-being of the creation and urges the creation to obey the Creator. 
Therefore, the most superior of the, crea of the creation are specifically chosen for this rank. And those who fulfill its conditions to perfection are the most eligible. If you're going to represent Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to mankind, this is no small task. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala very carefully chooses those. Allahu a'lamu haythu yaj'alu risalata. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses very carefully who will be the carriers of this risala, this prophet or this message. Now once they are selected, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala فَكَانَ أَفْضَرُ الْخَلْقِ بِهَا أَخَصْ And there وَأَكْمَلُهُمْ بِشُرُوتِيَهَا أَحَقُّ وَأَمَسْ So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then gives them the best of everything. Go ahead. No single person in the era of Rasulullah could match his merits and his perfection in his physical appearance, character, speech, and actions. This is how Allah Ta'ala describes him in the Quran. You have been invested with sublime character. Although virtue is not, a, is not from amongst the miracles of prophethood, as others may also attain it, it is from amongst the signs, as perfection in virtue is almost unattainable. Its presence is akin to a miracle. And just as perfection in virtue requires truthfulness and truthfulness necessitates the acceptance of speech, such perfection is proof of prophethood. Perfection, as accepted amongst men, is based upon four elements. Perfection in creation, perfection in character, excellence in speech, excellence in actions. So here Imam Mawardi says that if we're going to speak about perfection and excellence, there are four areas that we need to study. Kamarul khalq, kamarul khuluq, fadairul aqwal, fadairul a'mal. These are the four things that we're going to look at. That how is this person's, uh, what are their features? What is their character, their speech, and their actions? And moving forward from here, he then um, tackles each of these one at a time going through them and studying how Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was and what, were his, what was his description in each of these areas. And that'll help us understand the virtue of this individual sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and help us further understand how we can become better and improve ourselves as well. We'll study this tomorrow and our next week, inshallah, in our next class. We pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts and grants us tawfiq to amal upon what we learn and makes us uh, great ambassadors of the beautiful tradition of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala sallam Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.